Welcome back to a new series of the Bastionland podcast. As this is series three, we are exploring the rule of three, where each week I ask a new guest to tell me about the three tabletop games that are most important to them. Today, I'm joined by the game designer behind my most anticipated RPG for the last year, decade. Oh, God. It's been a while. <laughs> Welcome to the show, designer of the Break RPG. Ronaldo Madrinian. Thank you. Hi, Ray. Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry that I had to include a, um, a reference to break RPGs, um, <sighs> the development cycle. It's, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of look forward to being, uh, um, like a, a meme for forever within the RPG community where it's like, we're just yeah. working on something forever. It's the Duke Nukem forever right. of, um, of RPGs. It's true. Oh God. I hope it turns out better. <laughs> No, no, the, I'm, I'm sure it will work out better than right, that. Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I'm I'm joking because I'm, I'm confident that it's going to be amazing. And I know right. that there's a lot of like hard work going into it. It's not one of these uh, things that sort of I, sat on the, on the shelf. I'd love to say, oh yeah, no, it's the big sponsors. You know, that's, it's, it's development hell. We've got, we've got, uh, you know, Nintendo in on it and, you know, Warner yeah, Brothers yeah. and all that stuff. And it's just, no, it's just, it's just me and Gray having day jobs. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, understandable. Right. <laughs> so, thanks for coming on today. And um, but w- without giving away um, any of your choices, mm-hmm. uh, what was your sort of process for choosing three games that are most important to you? Okay, so the first one, because uh, it was hard, because a lot of games are really important to me, and like I, my two biggest ones is I was like, don't don't talk about Dungeons and Dragons because a lot of people are going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to throw this out here it's probably a real hot take but uh I think D&D has enough press you know I think it might it oh, might really? have a lot of, yeah it might have enough press enough people talking about it um <laughs> I'm thinking back to so I, the, the problem is though, I'm recording these slightly out of order right and I know I know I, th- I think so far I think you're about the fourth that I've recorded and I think two of the three people did choose some form of D&D exactly and I was so like, I, yeah. I think there's going to be about 50% D&D representation <laughs> so you you're fine yeah That's fair that's fair um, the other thing was I wanted a game that I felt like, uh, influenced me, like, like that kind of stuck with me because a lot of, a lot of games, a lot of really good games that I read, I didn't either play a lot or I didn't like super like, even though I thought they were really good games. Um, like I almost brought up, uh, Burning Wheel, uh, which is hmm. a, is a great game I don't like. And I think like <laughs> the problem is though, is like, I don't want to start like doing this thing where it's i didn't want to be going on like oh yeah this is really great but i didn't enjoy it but it was great like it was well written and you know i yeah, think yeah. i think games deserve to be like talked about by people who like them for the most part unless they're Definitely. yeah unless they're objectively bad like i don't think anyone's going to be jockeying for fatal anytime soon yeah that's interesting no, nobody so nobody's chosen a game so far where they've said this is important to me because i hated it so much that i decided <laughs> to make something better oh damn maybe i should have like, done that but I yeah, I, maybe someone else will. Yeah, I don't know. that's true. That's true. <laughs> save um, that for next time. Save that for another time. And then, like, I think the last thing was like I tried to pick ones that were important to me in different stages of like me deciding to like make game stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. like one of these I picked out was really early on um, when I started like looking at games that were D and D, and then other game another game was one I found while I was like, oh, I really want to write a game. What should it look like? And then uh. uh there's one that's kind of in between those two things. It's like I just kind yeah, of stumbled yeah. on, and I was like, oh, oh, 
well, in that case, we'll we'll get on to your actual choices. So, uh, so let's move on to your choices for the rule of three. Okay. Okay, so um, so let's get on to your first choice. Okay. Uh, what game have you chosen for your first pick? Uh, the first short pick I have is Teenagers from Outer Space, and I'm ah. putting that first. Putting that first because it's the earliest one that I found. Ah, we're in like a chronological sort of. Yeah, it's out of chronology because one of the games is an older game that I discovered after like reading a lot of other older games. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's your your chronology, as right? Exactly, my chronology as opposed to the actual game chronology. Because yeah, one is. There's one in here that's like at least a decade older than this one. So yeah, so what for, for those unfamiliar, because this is actually one that I I recognized the name, but that was about <laughs> it. I didn't know anything about the sort of the game itself. Right, it's 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 a deep cut. Yeah. So so what is it for those who don't know? Uh, okay, so um, back in like the '90s, uh, Artel Sorian uh, did uh, what was a series called Animechanics, uh, which was a bunch for the most part a bunch of licensed. Uh, tabletop RPGs that were based on various like anime series because in the 90s anime was getting uh popular stateside but not like not to the point where it's like ubiquitous now like it was it was popular in a niche fashion and most of these were like most of these were like older OVA kind of series uh you know um Bubblegum Crisis was a big one for me uh, but while I was grabbing all of these, because I was, uh, I, again, if you read the break blog and you follow me, you might be, you might not be surprised to find out that I actually really like anime. Uh, <laughs> and I was just grabbing everything I could because I was like, oh, anime tabletop games. I like that. But anyway, uh, Teenagers from Outer Space was actually a reprint of an older game they had done without the, an- it was initially without the anime aesthetic. But they uh, they sort of based it on an anime anyway, and so when they started doing this line, they were like, "Oh, let's let's republish this game, but we're going to put some like how to draw manga uh, clip art in it." Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's got that vibe, definitely. It's got that vibe, and I know not to not to diminish, not to diminish. It was no, 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 publishing house, but yeah, it's definitely got that like this is an American who really loves this stuff, kind of trying <laughs> yeah, yeah. to like do their best with it. But it it struck me for a couple of reasons. Um, the first one was that like it's it's first it was a it was probably the first like I missed a lot of like the sort of funny RPGs like I wouldn't find out about paranoia and tune for mm. for example until like I was like deep in this stuff so like to stumble on a, a a tabletop game that wasn't just jokey that was literally like hey this is supposed to be funny like you're when you're playing this you and your friends are supposed to be like like laughing and stuff like that it's not like dramatic yeah yeah um because like I, even the sample adventure they give is like not dramatic in stakes at all. Like a space alien princess shows up and is like, "Oh, I want to date, but I can't decide because you're all too you're all too good looking. So if anyone can catch this space orb, they can right. go to date with me." <laughs> and like that's the that's the example adventure, which is like that was crazy to me. At like as a as a kid, I was like, "That's that's not adventure. There's no dungeons or dragons or, or you know." But no. But then I I kind of got into it. Um. And I think also like uh, the other animechanics games, they all used a system called Fusion, um, which like a lot of Artelsorian games, like very similar to Cyberpunk 2020. Uh, oh God, I just realized Cyberpunk 2020. Anyway, <laughs> what, don't what, think about it. Yeah. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they were very, they're very crunchy. They're very number intensive. Um, there's mm. a lot of like stuff. Like I don't, if you've ever played one. 
Uh, Mechton Zeta also did this thing where it's like when you hit, sure, yeah. when you hit someone, you don't just roll when how if you hit them, then you roll how well you hit them, then you roll where you hit them, and then you roll how mm-hmm. it's like it's very there's a lot, yeah. um, and <laughs> this game like pars it down to this very like very simplistic version, and like they take out a lot of the stuff like in this game you can't die like you don't have like hit points per se you've like I think it's like a bod. Uh, a bod modifier or stamina mm, and yeah. or i'm sorry you have a bonk you have bonk that's what it was oh, okay and if you run out of bonk then your character just looks stupid for the rest of the scene like they run around right. squashed or whatever because it's cartoon <laughs> violence yeah. right it's just like and like it uses very like abstracted rules where like uh you know it does stuff like you have one of the things if you're playing an alien uh, you can turn gigantic, like Ultraman or Godzilla. Uh, mm. But it's very like loop, fast and loose. So if you were saying, oh, my small robot turns into a big robot, that would work. And so that was kind of revelatory for me that that rules could be, like reading that, I was like, oh, so rules don't have to be very strict, right? They can have the fiction attached to them can be malleable as long as the rule is clear and can be applied. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that was a big thing for me. Uh, And also, probably the most important thing, and probably the thing that stuck with me, the alien characters are all super powered, but you can also just play a regular kid. And instead of Mm. doing like what, at the time, what made sense to me at the time was to go, okay, like in Dungeons and Dragons, the fighter can fight, and and that's what makes him important. And the thief can do thief things uh, in a shitty percentile, so that's what makes them important. But the in here, the human's power isn't anything supernatural or good. It's literally they're really good at they can lie about okay. Earth stuff. And aliens, because they don't know about Earth stuff, just believe them, right? So the idea right, right. and I was like, oh, so to to them, instead of going, this is literally equal to the aliens, it's like this is an interesting ability you have that allows you to participate in the game and the functions of the game. It's the sort of thing I've heard. I'm not sure where this term's from, but it's like an incomparable because right. you can't compare it to the fact that the aliens have these magical powers or whatever. Exactly. Like it's, it's, it's different rather than. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. And I think that was when, and that, that clicked in my, that started like this process in my head where I went, okay, it's not so much that these people have to literally be equal. Like game balance, which is a weird loaded word anyway. Um, mm. Game balance doesn't have to come from the fact that everybody can can equal is, is literally equal so much as that as long as they can participate in the game itself, like as long as someone's not just sitting something out, right? You don't have yeah, that, yeah. that situation where like, uh, and I think that's what everyone's trying to avoid. You, have, you don't have that situation where someone's sitting on the sidelines bored. That's what you're avoiding, not, oh, this guy's, you know. Uh, because if you wanted to play a super powerful character, you could really easily. And if you want to just play a normal kid who's just who's just trying to get a date because you're a teenager or whatever, yeah, um, sure. you could, and it would still work. These two characters would, would, would be compatible. And part of that was because the goals of the game were, were inherently kind of silly. Like, it was never, uh, unlike, like, say, D&D, which has a pretty clear goal of, like, all right, we're going to get treasure... Or like cyberpunk or, or cyberpunk or Shadowrun, where it's like, oh, we got to complete our 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 cyberpunking our, our job. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, this one was literally like you're just trying to survive high school life, but there's also uh, there you know you also have to deal with your classmates being Captain Harlock and and you know uh, uh, some forehead alien from Star Trek and like whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
and it kind of um it has that um so look like i say i never really um i didn't know much about this before right before you picked it so th- thanks for picking something that sort of uh set me down a bit of a rabbit hole because looking through it the um the bit that led out of me was um do you have an ability score called relationship with parents yes relationship with parents it's such a good and um <laughs> yeah i mean i know that's that's kind of that reminded me of um i've not played uh tales from the loop right but i believe uh tales from the loop has something very similar where there's a um i don't know if it's an ability score but it's it's a sort of mechanized your, your relationship with your parents is mechanized but again that's another thing that seems so obvious if you're gonna make a game right. with children as characters yeah like I... what, what defines children like like their relationship with their parents is you know it's it's usually interesting if you're thinking of any kind of fiction that involves children yeah and it it's it's interesting too because like actually i'm really glad you brought that up because it was something i thought i really liked about the game that i I forgot to mention in my thing but basically Mm. uh it's also it should add there's a describer it says relationship with parents or authorities um yeah so for example if you're a space alien if you're a, a, a space pirate teenage space pirate who's been captured by the police and they're like you got to go to human school like Mm. your relationship with parents is your relationship with them instead but it's essentially like it's it's kind of like i guess the the closest thing i think of is is d20 modern had like a social status or like a wealth role that you would Mm, use to check and that's basically what it is like you're like oh you know like oh man we we need a cool space ride you know, we got we got to go to the dance, and we don't have a cool space ride. I don't want to take my, you know, I don't have to want to walk there or take my bike. And someone with a good relationship with parents' role can be like, oh, don't worry, I'll call Space Dad, and he'll let me borrow the yeah, space yeah. or whatever." Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like I really like this this these kind of rules that interact with the implied setting. You know, uh, like like you can't imagine like you know Conan doesn't have a relationship with parents or. or <laughs> Relationship with Crom would be his uh, relationship with Crom. God, that's that's a that's a bucket of worms. Don't don't clerics all have a relationship with parents for really? Well, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> just just have the, the instead of six ability scores, just have six like relationship scores. So it's like, oh man, what, what's you, what's your equivalent of a parent, and what's your equivalent of a sibling, well, yeah. and what's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's, that's, I might have to steal that. Oh. Yeah, that's actually pretty fun. Or like, yeah, because like, like imagine too. It's in a similar way. Imagine if like you know you're. Uh, I actually think too. It's it's not too far off from like, in old Marvel comics with Thor. He was always kind of jockeying with Odin for more powers. Like he's like, mm-hmm. or not with for more powers, but like Odin was like, Ah, Thor, you made me mad. I'm gonna punish you by making you a, a human doctor. Which I always thought yeah, was yeah. like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, do you know how much do- money doctors make? That yeah, anyway. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a fun, and it's like yeah, these kind of weird scores, and it's also I think too, uh, you bring that up, and it was something that taught me too. It's like I feel like, and this is this is a strong opinion I have. I feel like a lot of games do better if there is a like if the mechanics inform you about the setting as well. Like I feel like yes, yeah, um, and I think that's hard because like part of me also is like, oh no, games are toolboxes and everyone should be able to modify. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it doesn't preclude that, right? So like, hmm. if you if you have an implied setting in your game, it's it's also informing people like, hey, if this is if there's stuff you want to change, this is something you need. To, like this is a starting point, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's like why I like how relationship with parents has that descriptor where it's like our authorities or whatever. Yeah, because it's 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 the kind of thing where even if even if I show up to your if you're running this game and I show up and I'm being 
a real jerk about it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not interested at all. Right. Like right. if I'm just there, if I'm just there to make my character and I, I'm not listening to what you're saying, like you can't help but pick up the setting by the fact that that exists as a mechanic. Exactly. And I think that kind of thing is useful. And like it doesn't have to be a literal rule. It can just be a thing on your character sheet. That's right. why. Like so. The, I guess the obvious example is things like having classes. Like the fact that the, the, if the classes are. Um, three different types of thief you know it tells you something about exactly. the world that you're in if that's, if that's the, the options that you have right so yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of that sort of thing i think i think it often gets kind of it it's weird because i'm going to say the phrase that i'm trying not to say but it, it kind of gets lumped in with the whole like system matters thing mm-hmm. which i'm not going to get into oh, i think God. i think i think the way that you design a game <laughs> you know, can have effects that that's my like stance it's so i think like um the fact that if you if you have a, a relationship with parents um stat i think that that will affect how you play the game right so i think there's that sort of thing can get lumped in with that but i think it's it's a very powerful tool especially if you do have that straw man player that i've just created where yeah they are they are perhaps not as engaged as as we are as people who are like deeply into games right right like if you've got somebody just showing up yeah gosh um to try it, it it gets them it gets them in dang dang players that just want to just come and hang out with their friends what are they doing we're doing serious... people that have other hobbies and interests yeah. and god we're trying to pretend to be elves. personalities we're trying to pretend to be elves here man like what are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you not been thinking about this all week before right, the game come right on. like come on did you did you crouch for for several hours beforehand over some graph paper and go ah the orcs in this room are gonna do it man that's gonna get them but no i i think that like it's like for me it's like i like the sort of gentle nudging like i've seen a lot of games where the rules are are a little stricter about enforcing setting which isn't bad like that's not necessarily like a bad thing it's just like that's just not my take on it so what Mm -hmm. i like about this is that unless instead of being more of a restriction it's kind of a gentle nudging to like sort of engage with the game like if someone has a yeah. if someone has a score that lets them go oh if i sort of engage with the setting if i engage with the the world being fiction being presented i can get some cool chotskis out of it or i can get some like like i can progress the game and i i think that's really valuable um yeah i think um my my hot take that i'm <laughs> I, I i try to stay off twitter as much as i can yeah. <laughs> like if i was if, if, if i was going to drop a, a twitter hot take um i would say that uh is it i think it's sid meyer the quote is that a, a game is an interesting a series of interesting decisions yeah um, like, but i but i think the um my kind of twist on that is that i think you can kind of think of when i think about what makes like a good rpg work is i think a good tabletop rpg creates a series of interesting questions hmm. which is really pretentious wanky phrase to say so i'm, I'm not going to be putting that on twitter but what, what i'm trying right. to get at with that is that if if you have that on the character sheet that relationship with parents thing it's going to yeah. make the player ask like well what what does this mean what can i do with this and like right. well, yeah, who are my parents and it, it's creating interesting questions and it's it's helping the conversation happen yeah and um uh you know it's i don't want to talk about this too much because it's actually a bigger point in another game i picked but it, it's this idea that like uh, uh abilities you have and stuff in your character sheet uh, are not just informing about your character but they're also like things you can use to engage with the game itself and i think that's mm-hmm. really important i think it's valuable and i'd argue too i think the i think that's a pretty good hot take i think the issue is that it leaves a lot of interpretation on twitter not yes. not not the issue uh, talking yeah. about it the issue on twitter and 
And with Twitter, you're going for that punchy thing, you know, you, you want to like, yeah, yeah. But no, I think that's, uh, that actually is, is a really like a big thing, I guess, probably that actually, like I just said, one of the games, all three of the games kind of did that for me where it like, you know, it's like all these weird questions and choices. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's really interesting. And that's something I want to emulate a lot. Like that's something I want to like draw from. And that's something that, that sort of, whenever I write something down, I'm going like, is this fun to pick? Like, is this yeah, fun to yeah, choose yeah. throw? Is this fun to pick? Because anytime I got to something, I'm like, well, this is just boring. Like, this isn't actually yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. The classic is like, oh, well, you can have you can have this weird ability that does something that might like do something incredible, or it, you might never get a chance to use it, or or you can take a plus an extra three hit points. Right. And and, and like the the boring person inside me will be like, yeah, take the hit points because oh. that's going to definitely be useful. <laughs> Right, where it's, it's like, ah, oh, but but this ability in which I can, my character can turn from, and my character has eight tentacle arms that don't seem to do anything mechanically. Or I could be like, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm so squishy, someone can shove me into a peanut butter jar. Like, that doesn't sound like something that's going to be immediately mechanically useful. But think of the possibilities, you know? Yeah. <laughs> is that is that in break? Is that a, a, a an break? ability in break? Uh, technically, there's a way you could... I, I, I was really careful with a lot of the stuff I do, but technically, technically, there's a couple characters that you could probably squish into a peanut butter jar if you were... Right. <laughs> there's there's one we had to take out of the main book for various reasons that I'll probably... Uh, you know, whenever we start doing little supplements and stuff, I'll put back in there. But they started... Sure, sure. There's like a fairy, a fairy calling... Uh, which is actually oh, yeah. a very broad calling. That, that technically they can fit into a jar. But for example, there's a status affliction in break that turn turn you into goo. And if you've been turned into goo, then I think you could probably be scooped up in a jar. And in nice. in some cases, in some cases, you might want to be because as goo, water becomes really dangerous, right? Because you can get washed away and stuff like that. Ah, true. And if your friends are our friends are concerned, they can. And then then you know you can like. I'm really sad now though. I feel like we've missed. We've missed the boat, though, because now I need to put. I have to go to 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 message Gray immediately after this, and like we got to fit put in a jar. Yes, no on every uh-huh. character sheet now. Like that's that's anyway, the first so, listed. Ability. That's the first. Yeah, right, right. It's like tells you a lot jar. about the setting that that's right. the most important thing. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, the, and the other thing about teenagers from outer space that sort of leapt out at me, which is um, is that it, it obviously it seems like it is overtly a comedy game like right. it is like you say it is a game that is sort of telling you this you will be having like a comedy experience with this game and that's the kind of thing that i when i was when i was like a teenager and get sort of getting into role-playing games i think i would have like rallied against that because i i would have thought <laughs> well I, I would have thought well you know games are already kind of already they inevitably end up being quite funny anyway like even if right. i was playing the most you know the most serious game in the world um it, they often end up just being funny because you know right. playing with friends and but then i would always think well i mean the example that i always think of is I, I did end up with a copy of this eventually but in my like local game shop i would always see the red dwarf role-playing game mm-hmm. based on the the tv comedy, wow i didn't even um, know there show. was one that's crazy yeah it was um it, it wasn't I, I was gonna say cubicle seven but it's not it's it's somebody else I'll, I'll but it's like it's old now it's from like the 90s and it's it's a slightly ah. it's a bit of a janky system um right but I'll save my review of the Red Dwarf role playing game for another day. <laughs> but um, but, I, I, but even even though I loved Red Dwarf and I loved like role playing games, I, right. I just couldn't bring myself to get excited about it because I was like, well, no, because I'm not a writer for this. I'm not a comedy writer, so anything I do is just going to yeah. be like trying to do a bad version of that. But then I think I've, I've come around to it more lately because I think it's it's something that can be 
embraced and it does create a very different experience right. to the comedy that you get from like just playing a, a regular role-playing game that's trying to play it straight yeah and I, it's a different sort of feel it's it's i think what's important too and i feel like this is something like like just like you're never going to write like your your players you and your players are probably not going to come up with a come out with a, a game session that that really matches well with like a, an epic or like an exciting fantasy movie it's going to be like yeah, way more ridiculous like it's never going to be as funny as like something that's that's been curated but but when you pick your genre and you pick your theme and stuff like that, you're, you're kind of permitting people to play in a certain way. And I think that's mm. really important. Like, uh, you know, um, I think one of the reasons why paranoia ends up being so funny, for example, is like you, your characters, your characters are literally, you have a, you have a big line of clones of the same guy. So like yeah, yeah. if you do something stupid and your character is atomized, it's funny because you just have another one lined up and it sort of goes, it's the game sort of going, yeah, go ahead and do these dumb things. Like, go ahead and do that. That's the thing. And it's, uh, whereas like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, where you're, you're second edition or whatever, and you have like your, your meticulously made elf blade singer, fighter mage, whatever, uh, you're not going to dance up to, uh, you know, try to, to have a dance off with like the beholder to try and get him to tangle his eye stalks because that's just going to get you turned to stone or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like in this game and similar, like because it's a jokey game, because there's a bonk stat instead of hit points, it's like, yeah, you can just do dumb stuff and your friends will usually laugh because you're all kind of ready to have fun with it and stuff like that. And yeah, like when you tell it, when you're like, oh, guys, I got this great story from this session everyone's going to be like, all right, it's really not that funny, dude. Like, and I'm like, it's, it's that really that you had to be there feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, but like, but in the time it's a lot of, it can be a lot of fun. And also like, there's just dumb things in this game that won't happen in a normal game. Like there's a joke in there that like everyone's supposed to take turns. And this is another big one that says like everyone takes turns. So even though we don't have like a strict initiative system, once you've gone, you need to let someone else go and you should go around yeah. and like, and that actually, that actually almost directly made it into break. Uh, where it's like, yeah, everyone should everyone should be able to act in a sequel, like get a chance to do something. Mm. Some of the examples they give is like, yeah, you can take forever asking someone out on a date. Like you could just waste time being like, oh, I want to ask the cute alien girl, but I can't because I'm a nervous nerd or whatever. And like that just, again, that's just something that because it's a jokey game, it ends up, it ends up allowing you to do that. And it'll, it's sort of like a signal to players like, hey, it's okay. It's okay to play this weird character it's okay to do that. And I think that's, I do think that's valuable, even as a lesson for like other games. And having everybody on the same page. Exactly. As well, because I, I think the worst problem you have is when half the, half the table think that you're playing a comedy game and half the players think you're playing playing the epic saga. Oh God. That's yeah, no, that's run into some issues. <laughs> right. I was about to say that's the, that's the, that's the danger, right? It's like, and I think that's the thing, like, you know, we've, like there's probably dozens of games that have just been written because uh, some some person is trying to make it so that their group is on the same page yeah. like <laughs> i i actually argue uh you know and i i mentioned i didn't didn't like uh bring up burning wheel for a lot of reasons but that i think that's why burning real was real was written was <laughs> some guy right right just trying like all right guys i really want to play i really just want to play this kind of game and you guys just keep bringing these these characters and they're not really jiving and yeah um i imagine it does create it, for everyone to play that game and everyone to sit down at the table and get into it i think once you get to that point then surely they are all on the same page right exactly hopefully <laughs> yeah I'm gonna move us on from uh, from teenagers from outer space. Okay. Um, 
and we're going to get on to your second pick. So, uh, so what's right. the second game that you've chosen to talk about today? So the second game I got uh, when I was first getting back into like role playing games, because I had a, I had a, a bit of a uh, dry spell where, okay, well, I was I had been running D and D third edition for a long time, and I, I didn't really didn't work for me. I think I ran D and D third edition for many many years because uh, my friends at the time really liked it. They didn't like fourth, and they didn't want to move on to that. And I ran it, and I was like, at some point, I just was like, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling this game. I don't, I don't enjoy playing it. I, it's not like it's bad or whatever. It's just not my thing. Yeah. So I started shopping around for different games, uh, and I picked up a copy of Stormbringer First Edition. And I have to say First Edition because it's very different from the the Stormbringers that came after it. Mm. And so uh, to preface it, um, and I have it in my hand specifically so I don't mess stuff up. It's one, it's 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 English, uh, <laughs> which uh, or it was published at least in England by sure. Games Workshop, and it was also it was Chaosium, which we're over, is over here. Mm. Uh, but I have the Games Workshop edition, so it's this really nice hardcover oh, book, okay. and there's there's this great art, and I'm like, man, we were really behind in comparison. <laughs> like you guys, you guys were knocking it out of the park. This is like all like I think it was because there's a lot of Games Workshop house artists. I was going to say, I suspect it was the Games Workshop influence there, yeah. Right. So it's like a lot of like, you'll have these like beautiful like art. And I'm like, all right, this is great. This is a great looking book. Uh, and I kind of got into it um, and sort of uh, uh, it was it was mainly written, I think, mainly written or designed by Ken St. Andre, mm, yeah. who kind of uh, uh, he's famous for Tunnels and Trolls. And uh, the reason he wrote Tunnels and Trolls the way he did is because he saw the original D&D and he, he couldn't make heads or tails of it. So he like decided to write a much simpler kind of game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Stormbringer, like, I don't think that was like, I don't think he was clear nearly as like, oh, this game doesn't make any sense as he was with D and D. But but Stormbringer First Edition is a lot like that, but with Rune Quest instead of Dungeons yes, and Dragons, yeah. right? That makes sense. So it's like this really streamlined version of Rune Quest. Um, and like, I just, I like the, I like the mechanics a lot. They're a little, they're a little clunky because it, you know, it was, it was, it's an early game. Yeah. So it's like, there's always that little clunkiness where people will figure things out. But at the same time, it's very smooth. Like you kind of get it. You're like, all right, that's how I do stuff. But one thing I really loved about it that really le- leapt out to me was how character creation worked. And at the time I had not read any like Rune Quest, and I hadn't, the only Chaosium stuff I had ever played was like Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and it's very, and only very, like, I, I know I say Cthulhu, Cthulhu, I always say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, so, like, I wasn't too, too, like, I didn't know too, too much about BRPG. Uh, eventually, I would, because I'd be like, hey, this system's kind of neat. Um, but one thing that struck out to me is when you're making your character, you do stuff like, you do stuff like roll where they're from, hmm. right? Uh, so one of the first things you roll after your stats, because it's 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 you know we're still we're still in the day where every game has to have the D and D stats, but yeah, but not yeah. but not quite. So it's like all right, well it's D and D stats, but you also roll how hot and big you are. Yeah, the the classic editions, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that wasn't all that. Like that didn't get me. Like all right, all right, all right that's fine. But immediately after that, you roll what part of the world your character is from, right? And that informs a lot about like your character because in this it's it's uh, it's the world of Elric. It's it's uh, the same world with I can't remember what it's called, but it's where Melnabune is and, yeah. and uh, you know uh, Valmir and whatever other weird things and all these weird Pang Tang Pantang, which was 
my first brush with uh, RPG companies thinking like Asia was a place in samurai movies. Yes. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, it was, uh, you know, that's, it's, in fairness though, it's Elric. Every country is this weird mishmash of like psychedelic, psychedelic 70s stuff and like, uh, well, these guys' swords are curved. Right? Yeah, yeah. Going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Similar to, I guess. It's, well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass myself now because I was I was hoping I could get further into this conversation before revealing that I've never read any of the Elric books, um, oh! and, and, and I, I never really knew they existed until <laughs> I, until I started getting into like sort of like old D and D, like even like you know mm. 10, 15 years ago. So when I was like in my twenties, and so so I only really right. knew it through the lens of like this thing that influenced D&D um, and I've never gone back and right. like, looked, okay. read the books so um, but yeah my understanding is um, I'm, I'm more familiar with like the the whole like Robert E. Howard Conan stuff yeah and yeah it's kind of a similar vibe is it where it's like well how can I how can I turn this national stereotype into an entire <laughs> culture <laughs> it it helps that because um, uh, yeah because I actually about the same and I'm basically in the same position for you I had not heard of a lot of these books mm. and when I started going ah clearly old D&D is the way and I yeah, started yeah. reading I'm like was this Elric guy and I was like in anime and you look at Elric and Elric is literally a JRPG character like yeah he's, yeah that's he's, what always struck he, me he's, he's, yeah he's he's uh, and even to the point where um, Yoshitaka Amano who's the guy who did the art for Final Fantasy the early Final Fantasy games he did a couple pictures of Elric for the Japanese versions and Michael Moorcock is like, yeah, that's it. That's him. That's that's Elric. And it's like always struck me. It's like, ah, oh, never mind. These like these sort of like, like clearly I have to get into this stuff. Now. And I actually do really like a lot of the Elric stuff. Some of them are, are kind of some of them are kind of, you know, like that sort of like, you know, guy writing guy writing to turn a short story into a novel kind sure, of prose. Yeah. But it's still it's still like, you know, they're still pretty fun. They're fun, filled with nice ideas. So it's a little less it's a little less uncomfortable than a lot of the Robert E. Howard kind of like, as much as I, I enjoy it. <laughs> it's a low bar a little, to hold yourself to. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a low bar. It's a low bar okay, to hold good yourself to, know. to. Um, They're just, they're like, they're like more like, imagine like you're looking at an atlas through a, you're, you're, you're a little stoned. Yes. And you're looking yeah, it's at an atlas. Psychedelic, isn't it? Yeah. You're right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no. So not only do you roll and it tells you like, oh, this is kind of what your character looks like. And you also, and this is kind of problematic in a way now. Like, but when I was younger, it didn't quite hit. Where it's like, oh, but if you're from, if you're from this place, you get to get a bonus. You get to roll a bonus for your intelligence score. Sure. And, um, yeah. So I not like, ooh. Now the but, but but and this is where it gets fun. Some of these places, the people who live there are not human, right? Okay. So like, so like. You know, if you roll that you're from Melnabune, you're one of the Elric dudes who are like these weird, pale, magic power, like magic hungry, like elf type guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you roll a bunch of stats and it's like, yeah, you probably you probably messed around with the chaos god, mm. uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's one where if you roll, you're from this country, you're you're now a bird person. You have wings and you're like your wings and you're. Your your constitution is lower because your bones are hollow, but you yeah, can yeah. kind of fly. You can kind of fly in a way that's not that great because we can't make it too good. There's our like, and then um, after you do that, after you do that, you you end up with your weird. You're already weird. You're already this crazy character, as far as I was concerned. Mm. Then you roll like your background, and it's like, were you a warrior? Were you a thief? You know, did you sail? And then my favorite thing is that one of the highest roles you can get is a beggar 
and you're, right. it's just terrible. It's just it's just atrocious if you're a beggar. You like your stats are all lower. You know you don't have any money. Hmm. It's like I hope you weren't looking, but you do get a lot of weird st- and but but you also get a lot of weird stuff. Like like as a uh, and each of these gives you bonuses to your skills and like you might have an extra doodad. Like you know um, uh, if for example I mentioned the beggars and I joked about how it's just terrible, but like you get a higher persuade. Uh, right, you notice right. you you get a higher perception because. It's said that like you kind of notice more stuff because sure. you have to be you have to be more careful. Yeah, and like whereas obviously if you roll a warrior, it's like ah oh, you have a cool sword and you're better at hitting people. Hmm. And it's like I'm like oh this is really neat. And then after that you roll an affliction, which uh, less great in the way that like you can roll like oh you have tooth decay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have hemophilia, and it's like these are these are and I remember reading like these are kind of like. One's like, oh, you're 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 fat, and I'm like, these are just things that happen to real people. Maybe we <laughs> yeah, should make yeah. them like. But 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 even though I was like picking at this and going, that's not the best thing to do. I went, I really like this sort of multi-tiered character creation where you find out stuff about the character as you're rolling for them. Yeah, um, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of um, my own experience with. Um, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay like that that was yeah. the first that was the first like proper RPG that I ever like held in my hands and right the fact that you could I mean in, in a very similar vein like all of the um I keep wanting to call them failed careers because I, I stole them as the concept <laughs> for failed careers for my <laughs> game so, so now I want to like retroactively just like <laughs> call them <laughs> careers but that's not what I mean uh careers regular yeah careers. um so yeah some of the careers in there like I mean rat catcher is the one that everyone remembers but like right the fact that it was the fact that it was random and there were so many it yeah just, i remember i rolled up so many characters for that game just because it gets you and and like we spoke about the setting like it it, it gets you excited for the setting without having exactly. to sit and read you know here is the saga of the world of elric you don't have to sit and read right know, all that i'm aware that elric isn't the setting before anyone uh, comments <laughs> <sorry>. but yeah <laughs> 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 elric that's it um yeah. Yeah, it, and it, it's um, it's interesting that that's still. So this this wasn't like an early RPG for you, was it? No, it wasn't. This was way after. Like I can, I think this is kind of speaks to my sort of very limited RPG now, my very limited RPG uh, pool. But like you know, I I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was uh, uh, like nine or ten years old. Like way back in like I think that was I was I was ten years old. Uh, I'm 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 thirty I'm thirty six this year mm. or thirty I'm thirty seven this year I'm I'm still thirty six I'm holding on to that for a while <laughs> but I'm thirty seven this year so I would have been like you know that's 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 a couple decades back at this point yeah yeah but um it was right around the same time I like I got into like Final Fantasy games and 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 uh, you know it was this I, my my experience with RPGs had been mostly informed by like these sort of characters that you kind of made in the beginning. And that was, there wasn't too much to them, right? Like yeah, in D&D, yeah. there was always this constant, there's always this constant pull with D- Dungeons and Dragons, I think, where they're like, oh man, we want to make the characters, you know, like they're like, they, 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 wh- whether you uh, think it's the right direction or not, they're always like, okay, well, we just got to add some more like, all right, this guy, he's, this guy's a sword guy, right? But he likes this particular kind of sword the best of all the swords. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And not only does he like this particular sword, da 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 da, you know, whereas like this game, I, I, and I think the other, the only other RPGs I had played extensively, I had played a little World of Darkness with my friends. I had, a, I had as, as an, as a nerd 
as a nerd uh, in the, the 90s and a nerd teenager later on, uh, there was like most of my friends were either other nerds or they were goths and uh, punk the, uh, the goth and punk kids mm. that were in my high school. So the goth kids, they liked, they liked World of Darkness. And like, so I played a little bit of that. And so like in that one too, I think if I had gotten a little deeper into it, um, I probably would have discovered a similar thing. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more as like, there's a little more like, I guess, like consistent theming in the characters in World of Darkness. Like you're, sure, you sure. know, whereas this game, I was going to say in this game, like, like what I just described, like the first character I rolled is I rolled a bird man who was a beggar. And like he was from this weird part of the world, and he didn't talk to many people. And I'm like, immediately, I'm like, this guy exists in my head, right? Yeah, this yeah. character. And I, I went into that. From there, I did get into like Warhammer Fantasy because someone's like, oh, that sounds like Warhammer Fantasy. You should look at that. And I'm like, all right, I remember Warhammer. I used to uh, spend a lot of money on those models and paint them badly. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and I discovered a whole lot of like, and I think also too, uh, some of the the. Uh, I mentioned Artel Sorian games. Some of the other Artel Sorian games also had a similar thing. It just wasn't quite as evocative as Stormbringer was for me. Like that was just so. Um, and so, like uh, I'm saying this now, and uh, I bring it up. Like Break has Break's character creation. I made it remembering how much fun I had just rolling up these random characters in these systems and going, "I want this game to have a similarly fun way of generating your character." Yeah, and I think uh, if you were coming to, into this like straight off the back of third edition D and D as well, like yeah. like third edition was I've mentioned uh, that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was the first RPG that I bought, but but third edition D and D was the first one that I really sort of regularly played, right? And um and playing that was like I, I'm I'm really genuinely now struggling to remember many of my characters. Like I remember creating some, but <laughs> they are they are very kind of. I don't even want to say stock characters because I think if you just if you just take what's in the books, right, um, it, you have to sort of inject a lot of the character yourself. If you get like a dwarf fighter, like I think exactly. that there's some there's some like weight that comes with that, but you have to add a lot into it. Another one that I think does this really well. Um, have you played the Spire RPG? No, I've not. So that's I, I won't do like an entire advert for it, but the the, um, <laughs> the Spire RPG um, has sort of like I think there's eight or nine classes in the game, okay. and what they tried to do is like th- th- there's kind of like the equivalent to like a fighter, a cleric, a thief, and a wizard, but but they're all very specific. So like the fighter is a knight of the docks, and as such, Ooh. they're like they're like the only people that are allowed to carry like weapons around the city, and they're they basically they're always like attached to a pub like mm. that's like their chapter house sort of thing i guess oh, okay. um, they're kind of like a weird like cross between like knights and like fraternity people i guess <laughs> so like already oh, no. like, like i've not oh, told you anything no. else about the world but if, if you get that character like straight away you're in with something that's, like you might that's... you might hate it and they'll be like right, well i don't want to play that character but you've got an opinion <laughs> it. and um and like, was... the, the priest is like a um like a carrion priest that um that has a hyena oh wow all right all right eats corpses and stuff like yeah there's holy crap i mean this this is a very extreme example because like there's there's (laughs) tons of tons of flavor in these classes but i i think the more of the world you can put on the characters i think it makes it so much easier for new players coming into your world yeah and and i think we you know i think as as people who are really deep into this stuff we underestimate how much ling we we, i should say we overestimate how much lingua fraca exists between like yeah between like like i i remember when i first started doing break i sat forever and i'm like am i gonna put dwarves and elves in this because i'm like part of me is like no i don't like dwarves and elves they're in every game and 
And I'm like, but but Ray, that's why they're in every game, right? Because yeah, like yeah. someone can go, oh, I get it. Like they look at the they look at an elf and they go, this person likes magic, probably the woods, and can probably poke someone with a sword. And like immediately, for someone who doesn't know too too much about fantasy, that's a big deal. But on the other hand, too, when you have weirder stuff the more you can kind of inform people as they're making their character and the less they have to like go digging for Definitely. the better. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think that's really good. Like immediately I just went, I, as you mentioned the pub nights, I immediately went, Oh no, because I'm like, Oh, that's, that's like, like right there. I'm thinking like Gaston from beauty and the beast. Like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's like the, the most machismo kind of like person you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's like a double stuffed Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we've been talking about um, elves and dwarves and stuff, I feel like that leads right. us nicely onto your um, right. your final choice. So, uh, so That's what game right. did you choose for your for your third choice today? Okay, so this one is also the last chronologically I discovered, and I, it's very important to me because I, um, I like kind of got into it right as I started writing my own game, uh, and unfortunately, I, there's no physical copy like unless you do a custom one. So I have to pull it up on my tablet here. But it's a game called Old School Hack that was, uh, um, it's still on the internet, still free. It's all free to download. And I, I highly recommend anyone listening to this uh, to go check it out because I just think it's a great little game. Yeah. When, when you mentioned this, I was like, oh, there's a game I've not, name I've not heard in a long time. Like time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it won an any. Yeah. Well, as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah. I think I think because I always conflate it in my head with Dungeon Crawl Classics because it's got kind right. of a similar name and it was right. under similar time. But they're, yeah. they're very different games. So, yeah, for those who are unfamiliar, what 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 is Old School Hack? So Old School Hack was born out of a project called Red, Red Box Hack. And Red Box Hack was specifically like was a guy going, I want to read, I'm going to read the old Redbox version of Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm going to kind of build a game out of it. And sort of like, and that's also interesting. And if anyone wants to look that up, I think that's a really interesting, fun thing. Because definitely in Redbox hat, hack, there's this sense of like, I like the ideas that are being presented here, but I'm, I'm not fairly super keen on the sort of uh, the, I guess, I don't know how to put it. Because I feel like I feel like the mechanics for old Redbox D&D are actually pretty solid in the sense that like, okay, I get this. Like hmm. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to sit down there, but I do think there's a sort of, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a very, there's a, there's a muskiness to it. There's sure. an old school muskiness to it. And I feel like this person was trying to go like, let's, let's inject some of the stuff that I know from modern games into it. And it's a really interesting experiment. And what I think I like so much of the reason why old school hack stuck with me a little more is because it's a fully realized project. Like, it's taking that sort of impetuous, but it's like it ran with it and it kind of created something. And there's a lot of stuff I took away from this game when I first read it. it is one, I think it has one of the most elegant ways to do combat in any game. Like the zone combat is something that I, I don't want to say I ripped off for break because I ended up injecting a lot of my own stuff into it. But like, you know, I, I took that almost like, like a lot of that to heart. The way it sort of uh, proceduralizes action, I think is really good. Hmm. Um, it has a lot of like, you know, and it's, uh, there's a lot of really fun ways there. The way it does advancement is probably one of the things that stuck with me the most, uh, because the writer actually mentioned in a, uh, uh he's a, he's a, uh, Kieran Robinson. I keep talking about him like, but I actually am like, 
I, I would say like we're pretty friendly acquaintances. So I'm like, I don't want to talk about him like he's, <laughs> yeah, uh, like he's some wizard that I've never talked about. <laughs> Uh, but but Kieran mentioned this: uh, the characters in Old School Hack grow horizontally rather than vertically. Yes, that's the um, and, looking through it with this. That was the thing that leapt out at me. It was really cool. Yes, and and that's actually something I really really took away from and thinking, oh, this is a really good way to do character advancement. And I guess to better explain that, because I, I while I expect there's certainly many enlightened listeners just nodding their heads sagely, going, ah, oh, yes, growing horizontally instead of vertically. <laughs> Um, basically the idea is instead of your character becoming, you know, we, I was just joking about the sword man who's good with the best, who's the good with this sword. And he's so yeah, good with this yeah. sword. And, and now he has a further plus one with this sword. Every, every time you advance, you get like a class ability and these class abilities, rather than being like simple bonuses, um, they are new ways in which your character can solve problems or engage with the fiction. And I, it's that kind of thing I mentioned way back with the first game with um, Teenagers from Outer Space, it is a different way to engage with the fiction and solve problems. And I really like that. Like, it's like a toolbox. And I think like, I think that's really valuable because it encourages people to play creatively and gives them an incentive to do so, right? It's- Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, there's always that, there's always that uh, palladium or palladium, whatever, how do you ever say it? R- riffs. Yeah, palladium. Uh, <laughs> palladium. Uh, there's always, they always have that thing that always makes me laugh. And it's like, for good role playing, you get thirty five experience points. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm just like, all right, thanks for that literal nothing. Of like, for a good for a good plan, you get seventy five experience points, and it's like, I think those are good intended, but I think it's better to sort of mechanically incentivize those through play rather than. I think the carrot and the stick is kind of an over over leaned upon method when it comes to. Uh, uh, RPGs, but I guess that's a hot take. Uh, the thing is, like, with the whole carrot and stick. I mean, I've I've got I have got like genuine hot takes on like player <laughs> incentivizing player behavior. Right. This might be like a this this sounds like it shouldn't be a radical opinion, but I feel like if you make certain bits of your game fun, then people will do them. <laughs> um, like, like I don't need I don't need like a Skinner box that gives me a little gold star for doing the thing. Right. Like, if you make the thing fun. Right, um, exactly. Like, yeah, it's it, it. They will do it, and like, and like, role playing is for like playing your character and like doing a stupid voice if you want to do a silly voice, and like that sort of thing is fun if people find it fun, and if they if they exactly. don't find it fun, then that that's fine. Like, right, <laughs> you right, don't have to do it. Like, <laughs> I so so it's funny you bring that up because like when I was writing the example place, I wrote a bunch of like examples of play for break and i think i don't know how we're going to publish them i started publishing them on the blog and i'm like i should probably wait till the game is actually available before i start throwing these out there because it's kind of gobbledygook if you're mm. not like sitting with the game but something i try to do is like i try to make up players that resemble the people i played games with and like the different the the different kind of like in level of engagement they want to have in the game yeah and like I feel like that's not villainous. Like if someone, for example, if someone's just kind of there to hang out with their friends and kind of just wants to roll dice every once in a while, that person's not someone you need to drag in into the game more as long as they're not being disruptive. Like if they're not being disruptive and they're having fun, then that's fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And whereas like you also don't want to punish the player who's really into like getting into character and like, I mean, you don't, so, and I don't think it's that, I don't think it's impossible to like make a game that facilitates both those people, right? And I feel oh, like old definitely. school hack, old school hack, and by extension, break, hopefully, 
uh, kind of like goes at that in, in, in a way that I think is, is productive. But yeah, like, and, and then also too, not only do these abilities like give you these new uh, ways, they're like super, they're like really evocative without being particularly wordy, right? Yeah. So like there's the, one of the fighter abilities, armor of scars, which I think I actually just ripped off exactly. <laughs> I just realized, which is fine. I don't think Kieran will be mad at me. Um, <laughs> But I love how, like, that's right there, like, right there. I think of, like, you know, I, I uh, it's kind of a totally different genre, but I think of, like, this scene, and this is old Batman comic where he's, like, sitting in bed, and, like, it's, like, supposed to be some future comic, so he and Catwoman have figured their stuff out, and they're, like, in a relationship or whatever. Hmm. And he takes off his bat cowl, and she sees his back is, like, covered in scars, and is like, oh, man, this guy's seen some shit. And so, like, immediately thought of that. And I just love this idea that you've just gotten hit so much, you just don't care anymore, right? You're yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that tells you so much that a fighter with that, a fighter with that is so different from a fighter who just has, like, say, exploit weakness, right? Because oh, I definitely. feel like, I feel like this fighter with exploit weakness is like, oh, you got this guy who maybe is like a, a, a the much coveted fighter who is fast but not tough guy. Like, he's like, oh, I can poke through the enemy's defenses and stuff like that. Yeah, they, they remind me a lot of the um, a lot of what you see in the the Glog games, um, the, like the Goblin lore of gaming games. I don't know Thank you, because I was like, uh, yeah, the Glog games. <laughs> so it's by um, you know Arnold Kemp of Goblin. Bunch. Oh, of course, Arnold. So he, Arnold. Um, he he obviously released this as a little system um, some time ago, and then um, yeah, a, a, an entire cult has like sprung up around it. Um, I I like to imagine that Arnold is kind of oblivious to it because he he I know he is involved in it a little bit. He's but it seems like it's definitely been a very fan-driven thing. So I find right. it kind of funny that like he's become this kind of inadvertent like um, object of worship to a lot of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they've run they've run with this system, and it's it's very popular. And and it has this similar kind of thing of like just a classes with like a few very very evocative abilities that that really have like an impact. Right. Um, and and like you say, really kind of. So I'm, I'm looking at like the cleric now. Yeah, kind of like the the most boring cleric ability in the world in most games is detect evil. Right. Like, well, it's it, uh, uh, at um, at at best it's boring. At worst, it's like it's genuinely awful. like an issue. <laughs> like it can be. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be like really shaky. But it, it tells you um, in here. It says you know I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it basically says some places and things, and uh, sorry, some places, things, and people in the world reek of true evil, whether they are touched by fell gods or by demonic taint. And you can sense it by taking a moment and focusing, and then there's a little bit more. But it, it's again, it's that that's more evocative because yeah, it's telling me that there are there is demonic taint in the world and fell gods, and it's getting me it's getting me excited about being a cleric and going and you know it's getting yeah, me excited it, about using detect evil, which isn't something that normally gets me pumped, right. especially. <laughs> Detect evil is usually something everyone yeah. has to work around. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's like because uh, I always joked like I remember this one book. Uh, God, in second edition D anD D, they did the um, this quote book. I actually really liked it as a kid, it, and even though like now I can look at it and go, hmm. But it's called the Book of Villains, and it kind of talked about the kind of different villains you can have a tabletop RPG, hmm. and it specifically mentions Detect Evil because it talks about how like technically, d- depending on how you read second edition's like uh, alignment rules. Uh, a mean bureaucrat who likes who likes using rules against people is technically lawful evil, yeah. but it doesn't really make sense that a paladin is like 
just kind of walking through town going detect evil and he like detects like you know yeah, ebenezer scrooge <laughs> ebenezer scrooge or something what is he gonna do <laughs> well you know technically if he wants to redistribute ebenezer scrooge's wealth that might be actually anyway that's... <laughs> <laughs> but but like it's yeah it's like normally it's like this weird kind of shaky ability but in here it's like very you know matter like presents it right away nick no this isn't just like oh you see a guy and he's kind of a bully right it's like yeah, no this yeah. is something this is demonic this is a fell power this is something that's malign and exactly and, yeah. and you can get jazzed about being a cleric right you can yeah, get yeah. um and which is hard it's always hard to be because like nobody wants to like play the youth pastor right and like no LGBT, exactly right? and that, oh the thing i should add is that that's a that's a constant ability as well it's not something you have to like use a spell right. slot to do so right just, yeah, it just it picks up. It seems to pick up a lot of little things like that and just kind of tune them and make them make them interesting, which they weren't yeah. initially, perhaps in the in the source material. I like too that that the clerics have that ability called work the room. Which... Yes, that, that's the other one that left out in me. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's something too. I went like when I did break, I took a lot from that. I'm like everybody should have abilities that run the gamut of stuff that players can do, right? Yeah. So like in in break, there's a the sort of like the calling. Uh, also, I should say in break two, something that I, I did was that every calling has a list of like, hey, the kind of people who like these kind of characters might like this. And I think that even though this game doesn't do that specifically, I think that that kind of informs how each of the the classes in the surgery are written. Hmm, like yeah, the yeah. way the thief and the cleric and the magic user, all of those are written. They are like written for people who are attracted to that kind of character. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really important. That's something fun to do too. Um, but yeah, anyway, I like that the champion, back to what I was talking about, has a couple of abilities that are based around like pumping people up or like come or, or helping other players do something cool and during combat. Because I'm like, not that the, this character shouldn't just be, I hit the hardest in the game, even though they technically are like, they're like, I'm really good. Like, generally, if you're playing them, you're going to hit in combat. Like, I was like, this is for this. In my head, if someone wants to play the warrior, that means when they roll to hit, they generally want that roll to work out. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. that's the first and foremost. But then I was like, yeah, but you want to get jazzed. You want to be cool. You want to inspire people. And then one thing I like about this cleric is it's like, you know, it's you're not just like the group's medical kit, right? You can still do that because prayers the hurt is one of the big ones right there. Mm. But like, you can also just be like, hey guys, uh, you know who else was worried in the dark uh our lord jesus and he wants you all to have a plus one to hit uh <laughs> but like it's it's fun and encourage you to sort of really play the character without without forcing you to do so and i just really yeah, like yeah, that yeah. ability a lot definitely um, and i think it, it's again it's the way that it's uh pitched is I, I think there's there's some some crossover here i guess even with like powered by the apocalypse stuff in the way that some of these sound almost right. like moves you know so the work the room lets you you know you can you can give a five minute speech and you can get people pumped up for combat but you can also use it as kind of like essentially like um persuade almost it's like it it also doubles as like a persuade skill because you can convince people of your point of view after you've given yeah. this this speech and it just it that is so much more interesting like by nesting it in that work the room slot right it, it's it tells you a lot more than it would if you just say oh okay so the cleric gets plus four to persuade Exactly. If I saw that. I would kind of like instantly forget that I had that, and I would right. Like, okay, it's a, it's a skill plus thing. And then plus two per persuade. It's almost always useful to kind of to kind of contextualize that because like there's a lot of ways somebody could have plus two to persuade, right? Like yeah, you could yeah. be 
you know, uh, lots of, uh, you know, charisma is, is not like this sort of static thing where everybody has it in the same way. And I think it's, it's, it kind of helps people like informs their decisions and how they play these characters when they can kind of go, okay, so my guy is good at talking to people because he's jazzed about, uh, Loki or Thor or whoever, yeah. you know, uh, Rama, you know, uh, he's really into Rama or whatever. Yeah, um, you have to give an impassioned speech beforehand. So right, you can't just say, um, "Oh, I have plus five persuade." You have to, right. you have to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun, and that like encourages people to do that without being like, like you said, it's like it's in the game, and like where someone is like, you could engage that in different ways too. Like you could be like, "Hey, everyone, uh, brother Pontificus, he's going to go on and on about." Thor and I rolls and like yeah that was a really good speech about Thor he did hmm. or like if you have somebody who's really into it they could they could do that they could role play the whole speech out themselves right yeah, yeah and yeah. both those people both those people still engage with the fiction of the game and the fiction of their characters in a productive way but they got to do it in a way that's their speed and I I, I really value that yeah I think I think there's um there, there's always a worry I think that you, you're gonna have your players saying oh I I use persuade Right. I think, I think I think even just having them say I give an impassioned speech is like so much yeah. better than that. It's like exactly. the, the the difference between those two things is huge. And then if they want to really gild the lily and you know give do the full speech, exactly that that's good as well. But I think even if you can just get them saying what they're doing rather than saying what's on their sheet, I think that uh, that that's definitely a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, and like it's 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 kind of like it's also kind of the thing everybody wants during combat. They want you to describe what you do, even though. Uh, I think the roll tells you how well you did. So if you say I hit him with my sword and it bites into their flesh and then you roll like a four and it's like, well, I guess it didn't bite that hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, <laughs> whereas this one, you kind of like, since the the with these kind of actions, it's a little more front loaded. Like obviously you can give an impassioned speech, but it just might not land. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's, other stuff in this game, it's a little less like, and I, I, I'm underselling it in a way because I a lot of what I learned from it is very utilitarian. But it still really meant a lot to me because it, it, it sort of informed the way I looked at rules. It, it helped me break free of a lot of like assumptions I had about mm, yeah, games. Yeah. Uh, like for one, there's not a spell list, right? You don't have like a big D&D spell list in the end. You don't have, you know, uh, you have these, they're more attached to the abilities and stuff like that. So that was something that I kind of went, I went, oh, okay. And that, that saved me when I was writing break. I'm going to say that right now because I started on a long spell list. Right, and at right. some point, at some point, I'm like, you know what? D&D does a good job of this. I like D&D spell lists. Not everyone game needs it. And I kind of, I, part of that made me realize more about what I wanted to do with the game. And I, I, I ended up rehauling a big portion of the game as a result of that. And I think it came out better as a result. But also something it did here is that uh, the way weapons and armor work is very, I think, very inspired. Um, and it was probably the first time I had seen something like this, where instead of the specific weapon list you see in in Dungeons & Dragons or Shadowrun or, or pretty much any of the RPGs I had seen up to this point, they're, they're light weapons, then they're reach weapons, you know, ranged weapons, so on and so heavy sure, weapons, yeah. so on and so forth. And I realized what I really liked about that is that it still gave you like mechanical heft to the thing you picked out, hmm. but it lets you as a player kind of decide like, okay, well, I think... I think axes are super cool. So my heavy weapon is this axe, right? Yeah. Versus D and D, it would be like, it would be like, oh sure, you can have a great axe as your big weapon, but you're you could have the much better two handed sword instead. So I don't know why you'd do it, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I, I really like that, especially in a game like Break, where uh, you have to allow for people to have uh, ridiculous JRPG nonsense weapons. Oh, sure. 100%. Uh, it, it, it made sense for me to go, okay, let's pull back on this bit. And armor is the same way, where it's like light armor, heavy armor, very heavy armor. And then I think one is called Uber. Yeah, Uber armor. Right, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, always yeah. made me laugh. <laughs> and I, I feel like Uber armor is in there because uh, they wanted to have an umlaut in the game. <laughs> uh, like, I just feel like that's the only reason it did. But uh, I like that too, because again, it was D&D. It's like, all right, well, if you want the best armor, it's it's these full, it's full plate. It's, it's definitely uh, this kind of like our, our misconceptions about heavy armor in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance Fair. That's uh, whereas in this, it's like, yeah, you want to just be in, in nothing but leather and spikes. Cool. Like that, there it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's interesting with like equipment lists like this. I think I, again, I, I, so much of these podcasts have been me like cringing at my teenage self, but I remember, <laughs> like, I remember getting like third edition D and D and right. being like really excited about the weapons list. Cause it was like, oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's like 50 different weapons and all the, all these different pole arms and all that stuff. And that, and that they're right. all they're all meaningfully different but um I, I do feel like it would be it would be so much more interesting to me now to have you know if you say that you have a pole arm and it does d8 damage and two, and it has two right two hands and it does d8 damage and, and so on and then just even I, I still want that list of pole arms in there if that's important to your game but yeah just, just tell me a little something about them like I, I feel like they don't need to be mechanically different if you're going to tell me that i don't know i'm not a pole arms expert but let's say like a, a, you can have bill hook and you can say yeah this is defined by it's got a, a, a hook and a bill and it's um <laughs> it, it is, it, it's commonly used by um you know pe- peasants in like conscripted armies <laughs> and use it as a bit of a world building thing rather than telling me that it gets plus two to disarm or something right like i think it's a it's a real opportunity to to have like interesting weapons that tell you about the world and so, let you engage in that kind of nerdy weapon side. So I will say, I just talked about the simplistic weapons, but what you described is almost exactly what we do in break where uh, the weapons are categorized by like, I think in break there, um, Oh God, why do I forget my own names? Concealed weapons is one for like little, little daggers and knives you got hidden on your person. Hmm. There's standard weapons, which are like the baby weapons that just do like regular things. Then there's like Mar- or there's master, which are like, oh, these are the weapons the real cool guys use. They hit well. There's quick weapons, like you know, and heavy uh, heavy weapons. And then there's a bunch of reach and mechanical weapons and that kind of stuff. Hmm. And after that, after that, uh, this was really uh, me me trying to flex uh, Gray's art abilities. And uh, he, poor guy has to draw so much, but. Basically, I have a big list of like examples of each of these, and they're all tied to a region in the world. Yeah, and I yeah. like talk about and because that was my chance. It's like I love I love going on about setting, but like we don't want to we don't want to blow up that setting section too much. So what if I just snuck setting stuff in every every corner and on the marginalia and stuff? So like you might have a master weapon, but is the master weapon a a, a katana from the Seven Holy Isles, or is it a, a like one of the uh, the the sort of uh, Shardian long swords that you find uh, that the knights of the the sacred chain use or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fun. Or like, I I think my favorite was the heavy heavy weapons because I could go on about um, like uh, someone. There's one that's just called a dragon buster sword because like someone just thought, okay, guys, if we're fighting a big monster, 
what we really need here is an even bigger sword. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I, I mentioned that how the sword tends to survive things that the people using it don't. Uh, as like kind of a joke, like these, this is usually wielded by people who aren't particularly cautious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's so much more interesting than making it right. so that it gets plus one against large monsters. Right. Um, and so like, uh, and there's a lot of other stuff too. Like in, in, in Break, I kind of indulged myself. Like there's a lot of like weapon abilities you can buy. Like you might say your big sword has a compartment for a smaller sword. Hmm. Uh, or like you might have there's combination weapons which is this is a weapon that does the things two weapons do so if you really want if you really yeah, want your gun blade your, or whatever yeah i was gonna say if you really <laughs> want your final fantasy gun sword it's definitely in there i always like how of all the dumb final fantasy weapons the gun sword actually was a thing that happened all right really like yeah yeah there's there's a whole bunch of like well it was apparently really popular like when guns first became like a thing it was really popular in europe to like have a thing with a gun that was also a gun yeah, <laughs> like, it, it rings a bell. Now you've said that, I feel like I've been yes. to a museum and seen one where like, there's a gun in the, um, I, I don't know my sword anatomy. Uh, For um, shame. Uh, yeah, uh, what's it called? The the like the cross crossbar or whatever. Yeah, um, like like a, a pistol, like a pistol built into that. That definitely rings right. a bell. Now you said that. It's, yeah, it's like how things have clocks in them now, right? Like for a while <laughs> in the nineties, it was like, ah, this is this is a coffee maker, but this also tells you what time it is. It's like then it was like. It's like, all right, well, 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 Bertrand, you might have a cool sword, but does your cool sword have a gun inside? And there has, to be, like, there has to be a Twitter account that's just people posting pictures of like red <laughs> guns in things. Like right. Gun guns in things. I, I, I really hope I'm almost positive there's a thread somewhere of guns and things, but they're just really funny. There is a gun. There's a gun shield, which I think is like the last place you'd want to put a gun, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I did just say helmet, and when, as soon as I said right. helmet gun, I thought that's that's probably worse if you if you want to right. keep your hearing at all. I was about to say like the the helmet the the helmet gun is really funny because I'm like, and the the user of this immediately went deaf, like yeah, just yeah. <laughs> like. Um, but yeah, no, it's like I I just I I played with it, and obviously obviously uh, all other things old school hack did that was really elegant. Old school hack is like 24 pages long. It's not a long game definitely work worth looking into if you ever like game design because it also like it i came off D where everything had to be quantified a certain way where you know the the infamous quote of uh campaigns are meaningless if if uh, yeah. accurate time <laughs> records aren't kept and and this game was kind of like nah dude it's like fine like you're doing this on adventure if this happens you can just go ahead and said this happens and move on to the cool stuff and like or like, or if you want to play it out, go ahead and do it. And like, it's just so simple and streamlined. And there's an FAQ in the back where it oh. kind of talks about, it talks about like how you might want to do certain things. Like all mm. these things ended up into break in a way. And it just like, of the games here, like the most, I feel like direct mechanical influence comes from this. The others, the others represent personal re- revelations on my part. Right. Yeah. 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 Whereas this one is like, I just really like, just like, just how the game was made and how the mechanics are set up. It's just, just wonderful. And like, really worth it i think if you want to make an old school game but yeah and like you said too even a lot of indie games i think have similar things like there's a lot of stuff in here i'd see later in um powered by the apocalypse like a lot of these games a lot of these powers are like moves yeah yeah, Um, definitely i think i think this one's a little more loosey-goosey than powered by the apocalypse and i think that's one of the things that attracted me to it yeah yeah i can see that i'm a i'm a pretty fast and loose guy uh says man who wrote 500 pages for his rpg Uh, Um, still going (laughs) well in fairness, in fairness, oh. I finished. We're in a situation with what happened with Break. I finished it 
And it was hilarious because I first started it and was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do a three or 30 page add on to Labyrinth Lord. Hmm. It was when I first started Rake. Okay. And, Gray, and Gray's like, you know, Ray, you have a lot of really good ideas and I really believe in you. I think you should just go all out. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good idea to me. So I went all out. And like I, he was doing like, that was when he was inventing kind of the art style for the game, which is why there's a lot of early sketches, which don't quite line up with how the game looks now. But it was just him like, like that's always something that amazed me about Gray is the art style he uses for break is not his like natural art style. Like he invented that yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. for the game. And it always blows me away. Yeah, anyway, Gray is, is fantastic. Um, he has a blog called Mysterious Path, and he also posts a lot of art on just his regular Twitter. Like, Gray Wizard, everybody, just just go check out the stuff. It's so good. I could not have asked for a better creative uh, like partner. And, and yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's helped so much with the way the game works, too. Like, I don't want to undersell that. But I sent him, like, 500 pages, and he's just like, all right, dude. Um, I know I told you to go all out, but we need to cut some of this down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's beneficial sometimes. Right. And so what we did is a, like it's not like a lot of stuff I did eliminate. Like I have this rule in my head where if somebody challenges a rule I designed or a thing I designed in game and is like, hey, why is this like this? And if I can't immediately think of not necessarily answer, but immediately think of why I like why it is or mm. like a good reason for it, I'm like, okay, you're right, it's gotta go. Um yeah, yeah. and I that's been very healthy for me because there's a lot of stuff I had. Uh like for example, uh, break uses one d20 like d20 everyone's got their one d20 and then you roll that for everything and originally the game used like every dice because i like them like mm. i really like i really like die or dice i really like all the different shapes and i have a big collection of them early on gray was like hey i don't really see a reason for this to be this way and at first i was like oh but my dice and i'm like you know what actually i could just write this for one everyone's got a d20 right yeah, yeah. Uh, and i like and i like d20s i like that uh, you know for a lot of people, they're like, "This is too swingy. This this results in in uh, this results like the the spread of results is not uh, as consistent as I was like." And I like that swinginess because I think that really lends itself well to the game. So I'm like, "All right, we're just going to stick with the D20." But yeah, no, a, a lot of these thoughts and a lot of the way I look at games and a lot of the things I went, "What can I cut? What should I keep?" Come from me coming back to to old school hack and just looking at it and like, "Man, Kieran nailed this in one go." Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's the kind of school. It's the kind of uh, the, the the spell list is a really good example, I think, because yeah. the idea is again. I, I don't know whether this was like literally the first game to do this, but it was like, can we have wizards and clerics, but with no spell list? Right. And it, it looks like it works. Like it looks yeah. like you know the, the wizard is still cool and exciting and feels like a wizard. Right, and the and cleric is is the same. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I'm. I'm a, uh, to anyone who's like read any of my games, um, it's it's very obvious that I'm a big fan of like removing stuff <laughs> until it stops working, and then oh. put that last bit back on and then stop. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and it sounds like this is like a, definitely a similar sort of um, similar sort of experience for this. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, we, we've spoken a lot about break, and I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we'll wrap this uh, the, the three picks up, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about break at the end of this. Okay. Uh, that sounds good. That's okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, we'll, we'll call that uh, we'll call that a dividing point for your uh, your three picks. So those are three, you know, three really cool, interesting picks. I don't think anybody has picked any of those three games. Yes, and um, <laughs> it's interesting seeing the seeing it as like a chronological. Um, journey, if I dare sound pretentious, is, no, is an interesting right. way of looking at it because the thing that leapt out at me about old school hack is 
how much it reminded me of some of the stuff that I've seen from from Break. So so we've been talking yeah. a lot about Break RPG without me really introducing it. So um, okay, it's a game that is not obviously out yet. Um, but uh, well, I don't know. But it's going to be a, it's gonna be a <laughs> month a month before I probably release this podcast. So you've got right. a little bit of time. But it, it's not out as of uh, February twenty twenty one. Right. And uh, yeah, what, what, why don't you introduce it rather than, my, rather than oh, myself? Lord. If you needed to give the elevator pitch for break. <laughs> I always, and it's great because every time someone's tell me what breaks about, I'm just like, like I go, it is a game about going on an adventure with your friends. And that sounds like the most, I, I say that every time because it's like, I, if, every, if I try to go more into it, it just sounds pretentious, right? Like that's, sure. that was the goal. That was the goal. My original thing was like, I really wanted, I really feel like adventure RPGs in general, are best when they encourage cooper- cooperation between the players and a sort of like sort of cooperative in planning and and uh, like those are my favorite kind of things. Like when everybody hunkers down is like, okay, so this is how we're going to beat Medusa, mm, right? Yeah, like yeah. when that and 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 I say that even though in break it's just as likely you're going to like go, hey, this Medusa lady's been wronging maligned. Like these guys just broke into her house to like seal her head like why don't we just go take it up with this this monster in the ocean like that guy's the problem uh (laughs) that's the that's the beauty of tabletop games isn't it like you you would struggle to make if you were trying to make that in a video game you you, there's only there's a limit to how much you can do exactly have it not be like prescribed but 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 when the first time you play a role-playing game and you you think wait well well should we be killing this monster like it feels like such a breath of fresh air so Right. Like this and, is a game that's kind of based around that feeling, really. And and is also like I also point out a lot, like uh, when I was a little kid, and I say as this this has changed a lot. Like I played all I like I I was a I was a Nintendo kid. Um, like I was a little too young to play the the NES when it first came out, but I sort of inherited my older brothers when I was very young and hmm. got really into it. I got really into, and the first game I got my that was mine. That wasn't something my brother passed down to me. Was the Legend of Zelda. And I always think like I always think back to that day when I was like my mom was like all right pick out a game and I'm like I want that one because it's gold and it's got a sword on it I like mm. always think like if my life would be totally different if I like I want the one with the baseball on it or something sure yeah but um, and like the art and the instruction manuals for old Nintendo games were usually pretty pretty simplistic but they always suggested this really great big world to me and I think one of the reasons why I got into D and D and eventually want to write my own game is there was this world, these sort of pictures sort of uh, invented, that I invented in my head based on just looking at these pictures and sort of thumbing through these, these instruction manuals and sort of looking in game magazines and art for games I didn't own. And break, a lot of what break setting is to me is the games I sort of imagined could sure, come out yeah. of those. And so like, um, I want a game that feels like those feelings. Like I wanted to write a game that felt like that, that didn't necessarily emulate um, didn't necessarily emulate one for one old RPGs or old video games or whatever, but but more like the feelings and the the uh, the the what came from that and like you know sort of like like making up stories to friends on the playground and stuff like that. I know that sounds kind of like every game's trying to do that, right? So which is why I always go. It's a game about having an adventure with your friends because if I go into deeper, I'm just reiterating the same points. But yeah, it's there's there's an there's definitely an anime or retro game aesthetic to it. Yeah, but that's that's more like just like based off like what I like than, yeah, 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 yeah. than, a, than a statement of intent. Um, but it does remind me of like the, it, the, the, the tone does feel different to me from what I've seen. 
And right. I think the, it, it, the easiest thing for me to say now is if you are listening to this and you haven't seen Break RPG, if you, if you just Google Break RPG and go look at it, because I think you'll, you'll see straight away what I mean. But it, it, this is, this is going to sound really, you can tell me if this is completely way off, but what, that when I look at it, at some of the pages that you've shown, what it reminds me of is the feeling of, so, so I, I grew up with like, I, I'm, I'm one year younger than you from the sounds of it, but I grew up right. with um, Zelda three uh, was my first ah. um, link to the past. Link to the past. And awesome. it, it reminds me of the feeling of what I spent most of my time doing in those games, which was like just kind of exploring the world and like talking to characters and even just like chilling out in Kakariko village like it that kind of feel um it has a similar kind of it has the feel of that world um more so than like getting frustrated in the you know the the swamp dungeon because there's some bullshit, <laughs> bullshit puzzle <laughs> like, it, it has the, some of the feel of that world and it's it's cool seeing that influence come through because it's a really hard thing for me to put my finger on but again going to like breath of the wild i talk about breath of the yeah. wild all the time but some of the feel of the world there and the the characters and the it's the, it's that sense of adventure that I think you really managed to capture and it it, it sounds like we're just stating the obvious because everyone thinks D and D is right. like an adventure game but it's yeah. a very different kind of adventure if I think about some of the like NPCs in Breath of the Wild and I'm like what's their what does their adventure look like it makes me think more right. of what I've seen in Break than it does in what I've seen in D and D and and that sense. actually that actually is really great because yeah Link to the Past is actually a really a really mm. big game for me too and um. I even joke there's a there's a uh, I, I just had like when I was writing stuff I had a lot of different music on like I listen to music a lot when I write hmm. uh, and that was just one of the soundtracks that never budged from my like playlist because I was yeah, just like yeah. yeah and I think what's also really good and and kind of like a lot of the Zeldas do this but I think Breath of the Wild and Link to the Past especially and also like Wind Waker uh, the 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 game suggests a world that's so much bigger than any than any map in a video game can like can really contain oh yeah and and i think like like sort of capturing that feeling was like really what i was going for um and that sort of colorful world where like what i love about link to the past is how sort of colorful and bright and optimistic the world seems but it doesn't detract from like the direness of some of the situation it doesn't sure like like a gahim shows up and he's still really frightening like especially when you're a kid and you're like oh i'm gonna beat this guy i can't hurt him with my sword mm. Um, and you get a, but, uh, but I think what I tried to inject into, to, to break, uh, in addition to that is like that feeling like you're not in it in your by yourself, right? Like social bonds are a big thing I wanted to do. And I, that was really my way of like, I wanted to have the power of friendship in the game without calling it the power of friendship mm. or like having it literally be like, you are friends with this person. You have a plus one to all your stats <laughs> because you're friends. Um, and instead I sort of like tied it to mechanics. So like I mentioned the champion before. And the champion has an elective ability where they can let somebody else go move right after they do in combat. Sure. But, yeah, the, yeah. but the the stipulation is that person has to have a social bond with you. And the idea is that you've talked about fighting with this person before. And you go, all right, all right, little buddy. Uh, when I if I if I ever like yell like fire in the hole or whatever, you know, then you're gonna throw your like, you know, your your fireberry grenade or whatever. Uh, and so the idea is that in my head it's like I wanted that to be a mechanical thing, but I didn't want it to be hard to do. And that was the yeah, way to yeah. do it. And then also, hopefully, that character has an ability that plays into their social bonds as well. Um, but I, I did also make it so that if you wanted to ignore social bonds, you could. Like, you're no fun. Uh, as, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But you can. 
Um, yeah, that's really cool. There's um, weirdly, I, I had a really similar. I wish you told me this sooner because, like, in the last few weeks, I had this kind of. I've reached to a, I've reached a similar kind of conclusion with um, I'm working on like a little miniatures game thing at the moment. And oh, um, cool. And one of the things that I wanted to have was the thing. One of the things that I really like from the Lord of the Rings miniature game is that mm-hmm. you have these kind of characters that have relationships. So. I guess a really obvious one is like Frodo and Sam. And I can't right. remember the exact ability, but there's some there's some kind of mechanical ability where if they're both on the table, um, they get some kind of effect. And if if one of them is has been killed, then there's an there's an additional effect. And I and I liked what that tells you about the characters. Hmm. And it kind of builds some world building into it. But then it's also kind of a bit of a fiddly thing to track and remember on the right. table. And just that kind of so the thing that I ended up in is kind of having something where something that kind of triggers at the end of a character's turn that gets the other character to to do something else. So a, a really obvious example would be like, if, if at, the, at the end of this character's turn, their buddy gets to do an extra thing. Gotcha. And, um, and it's it's surprising how that seems like such an obvious thing, but it's not something you see that often in, in tabletop RPGs. You don't, that kind right. of getting the players to to give each other things. I mean, I know that there's this whole thing in, the, in again, PBTA, there's all these... Uh, that they're under various different names, but like the whole bond score that you can have between right. characters and like you can like you can get something that's triggered by that ability and like but even just a simple way of like prompting the other player to um to do something else or giving them something at the end of your turn is I think a really cool way of really cool way of doing that. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why like I sort of moved this direction of tying it to abilities and stuff like that is one again, it's something people opt into. Uh, but I tried to do almost everything in break is also me trying not to make people do too much mental math just because I know like sure, yeah. uh, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who just like aren't into that. Like, and you know, they strayed away from it and it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, they're bad at math or like they don't. It's just like, it's a lot. Like I remember, you know, uh, I always bring this up as a friend, but I had a friend in who played third edition D and D and he loved min maxing and he would min max and optimize his character to the point he needed a, to make an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, uh, yeah. to roll like his damage whenever he did and i just remember going like okay we're going to avoid that like i don't know how i'm going to do it but we're going to avoid that <laughs> but yeah no and i think like that focus also and i keep bringing back to that focus on group and yeah i guess that's a good way to put it like yeah that would be how i put it like the, those feelings the feeling of that sort of adventure that big world and that big colorful world and there's a tone and i'm also a huggy i'm like a really huggy person yeah, so yeah. like there's a lot of undercurrents of like hey negotiation something gray showing his genius i wrote a negotiation system uh that uses like kind of a procedure and it encourages the group to work together Hmm. like how are you going to approach negotiation like what are you going to bring up and like you know how are you know if they don't like what you say like if you fail how are you going to try and recover uh and he's like you know we should put this before the combat chapter yeah and he's like he's like if we put this before the combat chapter we're letting everybody know it's actually probably a little more important they know this yeah, exactly. and I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's a really good idea. I never would have thought of that because in my head, you gotta, it's it's rules and then combat and then other rules because every D and D book I've read is like, yeah, um, yeah. I, I did a similar thing with um, I'm, I'm checking now because I have it next to me. I don't know whether this made it into the final cut. Um, with Into the Odd, when I was writing that, I I made sure that I put attacks behind um, so like saving throws. And, right. Um, and actions and uh, it, it it didn't make it into this final cut. But when I was first testing into the odd i remember putting the rules for running away before the rules for fighting (laughs) (laughs) try like set a tone so i think that um that sort of thing is kind of useful to do yeah that's so good yeah because actually too i remember going something i stress a lot is like hey 
running away or attempting not to engage in combat is always an option. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's like not saying like there isn't fights in break, like, because there's definitely like a lot of cool stuff you can do in combat. And like, but I said to, to Gray, I pointed out like something I would encourage is like when you fight someone, it should be a big deal, right? There sure, should never yeah. be like those. Something I really don't like about something I've really like grown to dislike about Dungeons and Dragons is the sort of filler fights. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's something I think that the game is sort of stuck on because of the way they've like they've married themselves to a particular way experience points work. Um, but that idea that you got to have two point five fights every or two point five fights every session. Oh, gotcha. uh, To make sure everybody gets enough experience points to advance. And it's so like, weird because everybody everybody talks about those sessions where they say, "Oh yeah, well we didn't we didn't fight a whole right. uh, an entire combat all session," and like <laughs> I only I usually only ever hear about that in like a good way when people are talking about like D yeah and yeah like, and yeah well you know you can you can do that that's fine like <laughs> so yeah so in my head in my head when I was running break and I did combat and like I did the way I did like stuff I wanted to be like whenever you're fighting someone it should be a fight that mattered and you you want to fight this person like this person. It's or it's not that you necessarily want to fight this person, but it's a big deal that you're fighting. Uh, like, yeah. uh, you know, it's not always dramatic. Like sometimes uh, there's a monster I like. I call the Champa because everything in in Break is named uh, in a way that that like came sort of off the top of my head when I was writing it. And the Champa is a big deal because it's mostly mouth. Like it's like a big monster Pac-Man kind of yeah, like yeah. a pac It's like a Pac-Man yak, hmm. and like it can swallow things whole and like. Uh, it has this this fun ability in my head where when it swallows someone whole, it either sort of chews on them and does damage, which creates a dangerous situation because you want to get that person out of there, or it can spit them back out at people as like a weapon. And I did that because I'm like, this creates like in my head a fun, like almost cartoonish encounter that's still dangerous. Like it's still like, you know, nobody wants to be like, yeah, I was, uh, you know, my, I was playing my cool wizard and he got swallowed and he got spit back out and I knocked over the battle princess and man, it was time. Yeah, exactly. It's a, a, good, a good test that I always like to use is that I, I always try and think, well, imagine that you have this combat and then afterwards, if I if I come back to my partner who is, you know, she'll, she'll play RPGs occasionally, but she's right. not like into it, into it. Um, and if, if I come back and I tell her what happened, like, will she think that's an entertaining story? That's true. That's it's, a good well, one. We, we fought these orcs and I used my new um, dual strike ability and I dealt a lot of damage and then we killed them. She's going to think, why are you telling me this? But yeah, if I, if I talk about how I got swallowed whole and it was hilarious, she, she, right. I think that's a better story. So it's um, that, that's a good measure, I think, of a, of a good combat, if it makes a decent story. Yeah, and I think also, too, like all the mechanics I tried to do, I'm like, what, what is this fun to engage, right? Hmm. Like something I did, I went to, when I wrote the status afflictions for a break, I mentioned the ter- getting turned into goo. Um, one of the reasons why like I did that with the status affliction slash elements, I always forget which one I actually used in-game. Is it, it, but um, I went, all right, most of the time in D&D, you get poisoned. The poison is like, oh, uh, roll a saving throw, you're dead now. Yeah, or yeah. you took more damage. I'm like, that's really not like fun to me. So like, I'm like, but yeah, but if your character is like, slowly freezing and you're like, losing a bit of mobility every turn, that's exciting, and it gets you to try and engage with the game in a certain way. Yeah, like, that's or cool. like, um, you know, the goo thing I mentioned, I meant, joked, mentioned about your friend scooping you up in a jar. Hmm. But like, if, you're, if you're fighting in a sewer, for example, and uh, like a, a sort of like weird gremlin wizard turns you into goo and there's water everywhere. Like your friend taking the action to like put you somewhere where you're not going to fall in the water and like dissolve is like suddenly something that's engaging and fun and more fun than if that rat wizard just like cast power word kill and murdered that character. Like that's yeah. in my head, it's, it's, um, 
it's always more entertaining to put someone in a in a dangerous situation. Uh, and again, I, okay, I should. Wow, out of context, that sounds bad. Uh, it's always more fun. It's always more fun to put a fantasy character in a dangerous <laughs> yeah. situation in which they have to engage with it than simply like uh, incapacitating or killing them uh, and sure. making them sit it out. Um, yeah, it's it's the whole thing about how again this this sounds bad out of context, but in the context of a role playing game, uh, some somebody being in a dying state is much more interesting than them being dead. Yes, because absolutely. If they're bleeding out and you've got one thing left you can do, that's an exciting like spotlight moments but if it's like oh you, you you're you're crushed to a goo it's like uh, right not not a goo because we've we've got goo covered already but if you, you're just crushed <laughs> into like a bloody right. heap it's like oh right okay cool okay, good. uh it's and it's not like paranoia where that's supposed to happen because it's funny and you have it and it's literally like beauregard yeah, yeah. the second in a tube somewhere you can just pull them out like sure, all sure. right we keep playing um but like you know uh uh you know, uh, I, before I forget, I wanted to say you mentioned Into the Odd, and I always laugh because I always think of that game as, a, as a, another turning point for me because there was a very brief time I was like, oh, maybe I'm doing this the wrong way. Like, what if I should, maybe I should write this much more simplistic game that can be sort of picked up and played by everybody hmm. really quick and just sort of inject the flavor into it. And then Into the Odd came out, and I read it. And I'm like, never mind. Somebody already did that. They did a good job. <laughs> I feel bad now. Okay. No, it's good. You say. <laughs> You, you 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 did a good job because like for me it was freeing it was like all right i can make my chubby game like gray and i always describe break as a chubby game yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's because in our the way we are thinking is is that there are slim games which are those sort of minimalistic and they're easy to play mm. and they're easy to pick up and, and then there's the fat games which are those big weighty tomes like pathfinder in my head is like uh a really good example of like the fat game where yes, it's just like yeah, huge yeah. Uh, and and Gray's er, and Break is chubby because it's got like I would say the rules are relatively simple. Like the basic rules are actually like you can fit. I think if I were to divorce the rules from everything else in the game, like just take like a, a thing, it would be like maybe seventy six pages, right? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the game is actually like options and stuff you can do and things that are informing you, like the setting and all that stuff. Mm. And um, like for me, that's really fun. Like that's sort of easy entry. And then there's a lot to you to play with. Like if we're thinking like uh, in terms of like something, I, I feel like I want the rules to be something you can get through in like one sit down if you're yeah, really dedicated. And, and then the rest of the book be like things you want to thumb through. Like when you have more time to absorb, like, oh, cool. Like uh, the species in here are really fun. Um, yeah. I, I joked with um, somebody recently that I wanted with Electric Bastion and I wanted to try and set a record for, the, the biggest ratio of stuff to rules <laughs> so like because i think the rules are about depending on how you measure it i think like right. most the rules are like eight pages and it's a 300 and it's 340 something page book um so i'm, I'm hoping that one day someone's going to do a thorough study and see if i can actually claim that record <laughs> of like tough to rules, to rules. Yeah, so more, more stuff per rule than any other game is is my like if someone comes to me with that as a pitch i'll buy the game straight away all right, so I will say I'll give you that. There's like more stuff to rules, like I think it break. Um, but it's the um, yeah, it, it's it's that whole idea of like having a very simple core, but, right? But still, but still being, and I, I don't mean this word in a bad way, but being indulgent in the sense of absolutely, like getting get wallowing in it and just like embracing everything about this game and and making this game feel luxurious and generous, right? And I without think without having to have more rules, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also too, like being indulgent in like tropes and like, 
like so there's stuff in a i would do there's stuff i do when i write games that i wouldn't do if i were writing like prose fiction i guess and like i think it's okay like it's you want to make something your own right you want to keep it original you want to have your own spin on it because that's hmm. still important but i think it's okay to occasionally like it's okay to like also like kind of hint at or indulge in certain well-known tropes because this is a shared experience right and yeah, the more, yeah. like like again why elves and dwarves are in break is because i went I put my own spin onto them because I think that's a, a necessity for every fantasy game is you have to have a paragraph, at least one paragraph as to how your elves are different. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, in mine, it's because they're pointy. Uh, they're exceptionally pointy. They're also like the remains of a, a, a once uh, all powerful fey entity. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's, that's sort of written to the game. And again, me being indulgent in like, you know, everybody like Labyrinth, right? I want to, you know, everybody, every one of these elves used to be David Bowie in Labyrinth. <laughs> right. Um, but like, I feel like uh, uh, if you you kind of indulge in that and you let people go, oh, this reminds me, of, this kind of connects to this other thing I like, they have kind of a nice leaping, they have a nice jump off point. I think you've like, got to have that, like, yeah. Right, I think, and I think that's really important. Having a, having a, like a really nuanced character and setting is great if you're going to spend 300 pages telling me about it in a novel right but right i need to play this character in five minutes because we're starting the game soon yeah like and if I, you I say yeah that they're, they're it's a david bowie elf then right <laughs> they're absolutely like i explained that i explained to my friend because they're like what's up with the elves in this and like they're really tall and pointy i'm like oh well they all used to be they all used to like have control a corner of reality and then one of the elves is like hey this is bad and they got in a big they got in a big elf fight and uh that elf is still around he's kicking and he's important. The setting mentions him a bunch of times, but the other ones are all kind of stuck in these like, okay, you get to have control over this one body now, but you can't tell. Like, for example, you can't decide all the humans are blue now. Like, yeah, you can't yeah. do that anymore. And yeah, they all kind of David Bowie and like, uh, like what's really great too is like all my descriptions for the species were very like, very like conversational and almost like irreverent. And Gray just translated them like exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I have. We have these these ones called the Groon, and the Groon are these sort of big, like friendly looking, uh, cre- like ogreish creatures. And what I wrote is like, okay, so like they're orcs or ogres, but like Jim Henson made them is yeah. what I wrote. And Greg got that like like instantly, and I was so happy. And like I was like, and the Chib, I was like the Chibs I put in there because again, I feel like every every game needs like one at least one tiny people. Mm. Um, and I'm like, all right, so they're like, they're like, uh, I was like, they're like the little sort of super deformed toys you see in like, like Japanese, uh, Japanese toy lines and stuff. Hmm. Uh, but they're like, like also kind of like a little bit like precious moment stalls and stuff like that. And again, he nailed it. They're just these little dudes and they have so much personality. Uh, and it makes me so happy. Like every time I, I flip through, like I say flip through, well, I did print it out. But every time I flip through our, our copy, I'm always, always like, yeah, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. So um, I'm going to ask the the dreaded question hmm. that you probably already know to yeah. expect. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If if people did want to buy Break at some point in right. in the future, ah. um, what's what's the current? Uh, I'm I'm so, treading carefully. So okay, um, at the moment <laughs> we are currently done. Gray is not going to stare at the manuscript anymore and go, "Okay, we're rehauling it again" because I don't like this anymore because we finally settled on a good layout. Uh, yeah. We do a lot of he does. We do a lot of developmental editing. So like he'll get to a point where he's lay, doing the layout and he goes, "Hey, what's this mean? Or how can we make this more clear or whatever?" And I'll write a thing to put in there. But I can say at this point we are actually at the final section of the the book where he's laying out the game master's part. Um, 
And I think, pretty conceivably, um, within the within the next year, we'll have big news. I conceivably, oh, I think, I think. I thought you were just going to say that. like within the next decade, then just decade. To, yeah, to the next decade. Yeah, the next decade. Yeah, we're really looking at it. And and something too, we were like, once this big book is out, we're not doing big books anymore. We're thinking of maybe doing something like a quarter quarterly release where we just release new like like an adventure or like here's a new kind of calling you can play calling i say calling calling is what i call the sort of character archetypes that like fit in where jobs or classes would sure be. yeah yeah um or like even even i would like to joke too there's like technically two unlockable species in uh <laughs> the book okay. if you're looking in the monster section there's two species of of i say monster section it's called entities because they're not just monsters yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, there's two entities that make for new character species: uh, the Mundy Mutts, which are like dog people, uh, and Skelemen, If you want to play a dead guy. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I even put in there: Hey, if your character died and you're sad about it and you you don't know what to do, you can always just bring him back as a Skelemen. And they're named Skelemen because I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> it works for me. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, but also also because there's like a Pokemon evolution for the Skelemen, right? Like they go from Skelemaster to Skelemaster to Skelemonarch. And I mean, to go um, back to the Zelda influence. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, like, the, the Zelda games are, like, are known for their ridiculous monster names. Like, exactly. I didn't really realize until I, because I don't, I don't know if I really read the manual that intently. Right. But like what you think is a skeleton, uh, I'm going to test Stelphos. you now. Do you remember, what, what are they called? They're Stelphos. Yeah, I mean, it's a skeleton. <laughs> like every kid <laughs> probably called them a skeleton. Skeleton. Now, me, I was a huge nerd. Even okay. then, I was very picky. This is You were the kid correcting the other children. Right, uh, because <laughs> the Stalfos are important. And actually, the Skeleton and Break are heavily inspired by the Stalfos, even to the point where if you, if you beat them, like if you knock all their hearts down to zero, they fall into a pile of bones. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't crush that pile of bones, they reform. Oh, uh, uh, my favorite, my favorite thing, and this probably says more about me than this makes me look like a terrible <laughs> person. But my favorite thing in Breath of the Wild is um, when you um, w- when you kill one of them and just the head is left. Yes, is, um, like like breaking the head, breaking the skull is like that's fine. But picking up the skull and like kicking it down into it's a canyon is the Absolutely. it's like the most satisfying thing. But it's also like the cruelest thing imaginable. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's just chattering as it does, like ah. yeah, just inconveniencing the skeleton for like, I, the next three days. I was gonna say like like the Breath of the Wild made me feel like kind of a monster every once in a while because like I would just be like walking around like John Rambo whenever I saw like a Bokoblin camp, and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like, all right, so here's what we're gonna do. They've got one of those powder kegs. I'm gonna shoot it with a bow, and it's gonna explode, and then. The stragglers are going to drop these bombs on anyone that's left. I'm going to hit beat to death with my stick. <laughs> and it's like, um, but you know, actually, like uh, uh, I would say that also, like I was, I was kind of like, I was p- happy and also sad when like Breath of the Wild came out because so much of what, so much of like what ended up in Breath of the Wild is very similar to things I didn't break to the point where I'm like, everyone's just going to assume I just did it because of Breath of the Wild, but I was started. I started. Again, I, think, like I, think it, I think it gives people the it gives them that bridge to understand. Yeah, the absolutely. So, uh, I think it's only going to work in your favor. That's fair, and I think like I joke, I joke about like, oh, they stole my idea, but it's more like we're just pulling from the same well, you know? Like, like we both saw. I would say somebody who worked on Breath of Wild also saw, uh, you know, Laputa, which is an old uh, Studio Ghibli movie, mm. uh, and they're like, man, laser robots chasing fantasy people—that's pretty fun. 
<laughs> you can just tell people that you've got an uncle at Nintendo and you right. gave him some of your early designs. The the uncle in the car, the infamous uncle in Nintendo. Yeah, and, and he took yeah, them yeah. to Nintendo and they ran with it. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually um, a big name. Yeah, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto and I, we, we have coffee. Uh, <laughs> not recently, obviously, because of COVID, but like, you know, we, yeah. we, we get together, we talk, and he's just like, yeah, what do you want to do for the next Mario game? I'm like, it would be cool if we turned into a cat. Right? <laughs> and then they ran with it. Uh, um, but yeah. I'm going to be decisive and gotcha. let you know that we have massively smashed the time limit for this episode. So oh, um, good at that. My, my last my last one overran and I thought, oh, this this is gonna be the longest. But you've broken that record as well. <laughs> oh no. So, so well done. So it's it's uh well it's it's a testament to I, I could keep going, but I, yes. I also remember that at some point I have to edit this and I'm be, I'm gonna That's be kind true. to my future self. But um You should be. But no, um but thanks for coming on and sharing your choices with us and um and, and thanks for being so generous with the information about uh about break. Um and if people do want to find out more about Break and um, other stuff that you're doing, uh, where can they where can they do that? Uh, so you can find our the best place I think is the Dev Blog, which is just going to be Break uh, RPG uh, the blog spot, I think is the name. So if you find that, that's probably the best because that's the thing that's updated the most. We also have an official RPG site, uh, which was made, which was wonderfully made by Gray, uh, but it's also like. Sometimes it's a little behind, but it's still beautiful, and you can see pictures on there, and it's a great way to place to look. Um, we have a mailing list that uh, whenever we do release the game, that mailing list is going to be on fire, I tell you right now. <laughs> Gray and I are both also on Twitter, which is where I am attempting to, to create uh, with the loss of Google+, Plus, Plus, which everyone in RPG land talks about hmm. poorly or badly one way or another. Uh, this is where I'm trying to be like kind of around, um, I am uh, just Naldo Drinnen on uh, on Twitter. I'm also like right now. I think my handle is Wise Naldo, which is a joke that Gray made. Uh, but yeah, I'm there on Twitter, and then Gray is on Twitter at Mysterious Path, I believe. Um, we're both there. We both to- we both post about uh, break and other things. Like if you want to follow, that would probably be a good place to start doing it. Uh, but yeah, those would be my main ones to look for. Cool. And like I and I I do like to you know. I use a bit of hyperbole in these introductions normally, but like break is genuinely like the RPG I'm looking forward to most, I think out of anything. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to having that to, to actually look through properly. And yeah, uh, thank you. Run. That means a lot. That means a lot as you're someone whose stuff I think is really good. <laughs> no, that, so, that's, I, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks, it looks really cool and uh, I encourage right. everyone to check it out. Um, so yeah, so thank you again to Ronaldo for joining me today and, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with everything Bastionland at bastionland.com where there are links to the discord server, Twitch and YouTube channels and to Patreon where you can help to support this podcast. Um, you can join me next week where I'll be welcoming another guest to distill their gaming history into the rule of three, hopefully in a more concise manner. Uh, <laughs> So thank you again, <laughs> Ronaldo, and goodbye for now. <laughs> I'd like to end on a massively insulting uh, comment there. I think it's. I think that's great, though. <laughs>